Oh, Holy Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to this room uh, right now, and I pray uh, that you would breathe on us the breath of life, the breath of life that you breathed on us at the beginning to make life out of dust, uh, to create life in a universe of chaos and coldness. I pray, Lord, that you will breathe life on those of us who need it this morning, who are in a place of coldness or chaos or disorder, uh, feel like dry dust. Those of us who are confused and don't know exactly uh, who we are, I pray that you would breathe life and that you would bring definition. As smart as we get, as much as we learn, as hard as we work. What we need, Lord, is your spirit of life, your mysterious something. And we pray for that this morning to create change and progress in this ohana. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody, uh, everybody loves to win, right? Six of us love to win. And everybody hates to lose. Oh, yeah. And uh, it seems like that's something that we're born with. Everybody loves to win. Everybody hates to lose. Uh, but not everybody likes to compete. You know, uh, just the skill to compete, uh, the capacity to compete. And, and, uh, and long ago in a galaxy far away, I used to be uh, an athlete. Um, and um, and I, I, I remember learning about this, like even way back when I was in middle school and throwing myself uh, into sports, that everybody loves to win. Everybody hates to lose, but only certain people really had the capacity to compete well. Uh, do you know what I mean by that? You know, and, and, and I, think there's a, I think there's a life lesson here. We all like to succeed. None of us like to fail, but how many of us really have the capacity to compete? You know, a competition is where you really just, you throw yourself out there. You know, you, um, you make yourself vulnerable uh, to the process. You don't know if you're going to win, but you give 100% anyway. You know, you, you're not assured of looking good. You might embarrass yourself in front of people, but you give 100% anyway. Competition, I think, might be the most vulnerable condition there is because it's intense and it's filled with drama. Are you following me here? Um, I, I, as I get older, I, I don't find myself gravitating toward winners, I, I find myself gravitating toward people who are passionate about competing in life, who make themselves vulnerable, who are willing to give everything they have to something even though they might fail, uh, to go for it 100% even when you're not assured of winning uh, and not assured of, of not embarrassing yourself. I just think competition is a rare skill in human beings. Some people love it. Some people will do most anything to uh, uh, avoid it. When I was in middle school, uh, we, uh, and we had, a, we had a, a football team, one of my early football teams. That, that was pretty good, but not the, not the best. And there was this, I was, in, I was in seventh grade at the time, and there was this guy who was in eighth grade. His name was Dell, and uh, I was uh, living in Oregon at the time. Dell was kind of a farm kid, and he was a year older than me. He was eighth grade. In eighth grade, Dell was 6'4", 240. Dell was huge. Dell was huge. And he was like just the perfect farm kid. You know, he'd come to school in denim overalls and, and boots and, 
he just like, you know, eighth grade, he had the full beard. And, uh, and you know, he just smelled like hay. It was just, it was just, it was just that kid. And, and he, wasn't, he wasn't like fat. He wasn't, you know, 6'4", 240 and kind of puffy. The, the dude was muscular, was massive. He had shoulders out to here and he spoke in a deep voice. He was just like, he's what you wanted on your football team is what you wanted uh, for Dell. And I remember sitting in a room once where the football coach was, was talking to him and uh, trying to get him to go out for football because Dell didn't like sports, which, you know, for a seventh grade football player was like strap tragic, you know, it was like an evil that could not be considered. Like, what do you mean you don't want to play football? I was 5'1", 100 <laughs> at that time, and I really wanted Dell blocking for me is what I wanted, <laughs> you know. But I remember this conversation uh, where you know, the coach was just making his passionate pitch, you know, come out, you're going to love it, uh, you're going you're gonna to be awesome, you know, you're going to be a winner with you, we can win, and finally Dell said to him, uh, I, I don't want to go out for football because everyone thinks I'd always win. You know, and, and I kind of got it, my little 12-year-old mind. It's like, oh, it's the pressure of competition. You know, the guy has every ingredient to be a winner, but he's afraid of competition, you know. And I remember struggling with that in my juvenile sort of way. It's like, man, if I looked like him, I wouldn't be afraid of anything. But so everybody loves to win. Everybody hates to lose. But not everybody likes the pressure of, of competition. There's too much vulnerability in it for this huge guy. Um, so uh, let's do our warm-up today. Everybody roll your shoulders. <sighs> stretch to the left. Everybody stretch to the right. Let's do, a little, let's do a little trash talk, you know, because when it's game time, when athletes have to get up, they have to go out and compete. Of course, they trash talk, they self-talk a little bit. You know, they like look in the mirror and it's like, you got this, you got this. Uh, or, uh, you know, you stare across the line to your competition and you're like, you don't want none of this, right? You got that? So everybody, everybody start trash talking. Let's just warm up and self-talk ourselves. Like, yeah, you got this. This is your day. Whatever, whatever you want. I'll give you 30 seconds to sort of self-talk. Yeah. Yeah, some grunting. Grunting is good. That's good. A few chihus. A few, a few muas. Come on. Let's hear it. Come on. Yeah. Muas. All right, now you have to trash talk the person next to you. So turn to the person next to you. Look him in the eye and go, nah, not in this house. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not, not here. Nuh-uh. You, you can't handle this. You can't handle this. You can handle this. Uh-huh. Now I want you to look out into space. I want you to look out around you into space to no point in particular. And I want, you, I, want, I want you to talk to that thing that you're competing against in life, whatever it is. You know, everybody got, everybody got something? You're competing against in life. And I want you to say the same thing. I want you to kind of look at it in your mind's eye and be like, oh, you don't want any of this. Uh-uh. Not in this house. You don't, you don't have what it takes today. This is, this is my house. Go ahead. Go ahead. Talk to that thing. Oh, that's harder for you. That's harder for you to do that. Same skill. Grunt at it. Yell at it. 
All right. Well done. Well done. The demons are intimidated, I can tell. I think in life you have to, uh, I mean, you have to have that skill, right? You have to have that skill to sort of be engaged in the drama, to be engaged in those vulnerable places where you might, where you might fail, but you really need to give 100% if you're going to win. You need to not shy away from the moments. When it's time to fight, you might win, you might lose, but you got to fight. Uh, and that is a rare life skill. It might even be getting rarer and rarer. I've been thinking about that a lot this week because, uh, you know, I've reached an age, I've, I've, uh, I've had a lot of Christian friends uh, over the years, and uh, I was uh, reminiscing uh, with and about um, uh, Christian uh, fellowship uh, partners that I had, you know, like, you know, back in high school, back through college, all of those days, and a lot of them haven't made it. A lot of them have, have burned out, have jettisoned the faith, or more frequently compromised uh, the faith. They're not, they're not walking the walk the way that they did uh, back when we were walking together uh, in our youth. It is hard to finish well in life. It is really hard to finish this spiritual journey well because there's very little in the world that encourages you to continue to grow in it. Uh, it turns out that uh, if, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, the competition is often really intense. And, you know, it's not like we reject Jesus. It's just that we shy away from the competition, you know, uh, we just kind of stop giving 100% little compromises uh, that we make. And there are so many ways to cop out, so many ways uh, to cop out. Um, what happens to a lot of people, what's happened to a lot of, of my dear friends, uh, is that um, they used to be the sort of person who, who believed in God. And, and then along the way, somehow, they became the sort of person who constructs a God that they can believe in. You know the difference? I mean, it's one thing to really believe in God as He presents Himself. But then, as sort of you get buffeted in life, it's really tempting to reconstruct God into something that's just a lot more agreeable to you. I come against that uh, so often when I'm having conversations with spiritual seekers. Um, and, and we get into, you know, I'm privileged to have a lot of those conversations. And, and often the conversation, you know, goes like this. Well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in God, someone will say in one way, shape, or form. And I'll say, well, this is what I love about God. This is how God, uh, I believe, presents himself to the world. Uh, and uh, they will say, well, you know, I reject that because it doesn't make sense to me. And, and that's the point that's really fascinating for me. Because if there is a God, by definition, that God won't make sense to you. Right? Which is to say, if there is a higher being, then by definition, that being is just a bit beyond your understanding. Right? But we are schooled by society, by the world, by our culture, uh, to be personally sovereign. Right? If it doesn't make sense to me, if it impinges on me, then I'm almost morally obligated to reject it. Uh, which kind of disqualifies faith in God from your life. Are you following me? And that's, that's the struggle, you know, and I understand completely 
uh, because I've been walking with God for enough decades now that I, I feel the pressure of the competition. I feel the fatigue. I feel the intimidation of the contest. And what I want to do is just soften the edges a little bit. You know, anybody been there? Yeah? Give me a, give me a chihu. That sucked. My word. Do more warm-up next week. I wonder uh, if I myself am still uh, eager for Jesus. You know, if I'm still passionate uh, about, about the Lord in the way that I was back in the day or, or in the way that I have been at my high points. I wonder if I'm eager for Jesus. You know who Jesus is? Jesus is, uh, Jesus is the God whom we were actually given. You know, you wonder about the story of Jesus. It's so beautiful. It's so interesting. Uh, and, and, and it's almost like a presumed fact now because people know it so well. But when I, when I engage the story of Jesus, I'm always asking myself, why did God do it like this? You know, there's a God in the universe. Why did God construct a story that kind of filtered through Jesus and tells us the Jesus story. We're told that Jesus is God made man, is God with us. Emmanuel was sort of the nickname given to Jesus, God with us. Why did God do it that way? Well, I think, uh, and I've discussed this theory recently, I think that what God did in giving us Jesus was He gave us a decision point. He gave us a very specific, very historical historical revelation of himself and said, this is me. This is what I'm like. This is, this is my face. This is my character. This is kind of what I do, right? I'm not going to lord it over you. I'm going to be all vulnerable. I'm going to be powerful, but somehow really small at the same time. I'm going to let you kill me if you want. You know, it's just, this is fascinating revelation uh, of who God is. Jesus is, is God given to us in such a way that, that we now kind of have a decision point. Oh, well, that's, that's what we accept or, or reject. That's what we're eager for or that's what we stumble over, as the Bible puts it. Jesus is, is the God uh, that, that we were given, you know, the one that, that we have to get our minds around and, and the one that we have to follow. I appreciate the Apostle Paul's declaration to the Philippians when he said, I consider everything a loss. I consider everything lost in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, Paul, Paul got it. He said, like, compared to this thing, everything else has to pale in comparison. And I need to make this God the revealed God, I need to make that God my Lord and Master. Not like some God that I construct in my own mind, but, but that God is the one that I need to be eager for in that specific way. And, you know, and I've just been challenging myself this week, thinking, well, you know, am I, am I eager for that God? <laughs> am I eager for the God? Or am I eager for a God that I would find just a little easier to carry around? Thank you very much. You know what I mean? And I'm 50 years old, and I find like that's the main challenge of my ostensibly mature walk 
in faith now. It's still a competition. You know, I still need, I still need a little self-talk when I get going uh, in the morning. Last week we talked about the difference between owning and possessing. Pardon me if you were not here. Um, but uh, I developed the concept fascinatingly well. Would you not agree, those of you who are here? And if you missed it, well, best sermon ever. Um, uh, as I explained it anyway, uh, Jesus exemplified the difference between owning and possessing. He came to own the world. He came to own. He came to take responsibility for everything. He came to wield full authority over everything, but he did not come to possess the world. He did not come to possess us. He did not come to control us. You know, in in the Gospels, we see demons possess people. Jesus set people free. You know, I think that, that too is the nature of God. He is an owner. You know, he's willing to own you, to make you his, but he won't take possession of you. He won't try to control you, to manipulate you, to wield it over you. There's a difference between owning and possessing. And I think uh, in the same way, and we should be emulating God, we should be owning each other entirely. I entirely own you. You are like family to me, right? What I have is yours. We read through some of the scriptures where, where in the early Christians shared everything they had in common. They had an hour life, our life together. They owned, but they did not possess one another. They didn't lord it over one another. They didn't have ranks. Uh, they, didn't give owner, uh, they didn't give orders or make demands. You know, that, that, that sort of thing. God owns us, but he doesn't try to possess us. I, I wonder, uh, do we own God or do we try to possess him is my question. You know, do we, do we own Jesus? Do we, do we love him? Do we make him ours? Or do we try to control him, whittle him down in the places that we find inconvenient reshape him or reconstruct him in a manner that suits us a little bit better. That would be possession. You know what I mean? Owning versus possessing. I notice in Jesus' life, uh, as we read about it in the Gospels, he got abandoned a lot. You know, uh, a few weeks ago we read that passage from John 6 where Jesus uh, begins to talk about how he's going to be killed. And then metaphorically he says, yeah, you know, you all have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. What he's saying is, you need to share in the sort of sacrifices that I'm making in order to love uh, the world. But the whole, the whole thing freaks people out and an entire crowd walked away from him. Then many disciples left him, which is to say many people who had dedicated their lives to following him around uh, Palestine left him at that point. The 12 ultimately stayed because Peter said, hey, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. In other words, Peter was saying, hey, I own you. You own me. I don't possess you. I don't profess to understand everything you say, to be quite honest, Jesus. But I already decided that I'm yours and you are mine. And there's always that point in following Jesus where, you know, you give up possessing him and decide to simply own him. That wasn't the only time, of course, Jesus was abandoned. Judas quite famously uh, abandoned Jesus. Uh, The crowds at Passover abandoned Jesus. When Jesus entered Jerusalem in the final week of his life, you know, thousands of people came out to wave 
palm fronds and to welcome him as the coming Messiah. A few days later, those same people gathered outside of, of the, the, the Roman uh, installation and shouted for his death, for his crucifixion, entire crowds of And the dude was abandoned all the time. It was one of the main themes of his life. It's hard to own Jesus without trying to possess him. It's hard to own God without trying to reconstruct God into something that you find a little more palatable and convenient. It's like... We, we love it. We love the idea of a tri- triumphant Lord coming into our life to do good things. But when he starts talking about sacrifice and weird things and, and us having to work hard and, and stuff, then we are willing to turn against him and ask for his death. I know it's not that dramatic in your life, but that's how it was in Jerusalem. There around A.D. 2 or 4, whatever it was. Challenging. Possessors leave when they can't possess and control. But owners stay because they own. They're in. They have to. Got all that? Now I want to talk about nicknames. Now that we got all that heady stuff out of the way, I want to talk about nicknames. Any of you got any interesting nicknames? You're not going to admit it, are you? Go ahead. Somebody shout out an interesting nickname. Squirrel on crack. That was the nickname given to Sonia in college. Planet Town? Banana Town? Banana. So there's a story to each nickname. Banana Town. Banana Town. Really? Anyone else? Papa? Papa Shred? Papa Shred? And you seem so proud. <laughs> Papa, Papa Shred. Billy Joe has one? I'm sorry? Redhead Annie? Little redhead Annie? Aww, that's cute. Only now it's cute, back in the day. It was, it was not so cute. Yeah, I understand. Nicknames are kind of like that. Um, uh, uh, speaking of my athletic uh, background again, on sports teams, everybody gets a nickname, right? Those of you who, 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 who played sports or play sports uh, currently, uh, I think in the military, people often get nicknames. Uh, am I right? Mav and Goose from Top Gun. Any children in the 80s? Come on. Thank you. Um, and, and why do you do that? Why do you give nicknames in these, uh, these sorts of situations? Uh, I wasn't in a fraternity in college, but everybody in a frat gets a nickname, right? Like, you know, pong head and sneezy and smelly and all the other dwarves. Sororities, I think women get nicknames, maybe not quite so much. But um, when, you're, when you're in a group and you have a mission and you have a life, a tight life together, uh, you, you give nicknames uh, to one another. These nicknames are personal, uh, I think, and because I think nicknames are a way of owning someone. You know, it's like, I'm, I, I want to give you a name. I, 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 want, I want to imprint this, uh, this relationship somehow. 
so that's, a, that's in the spirit of owning someone. If you want to possess someone, you don't give a nickname, you give a label, which is something entirely different. Uh, I, prefer, I prefer nicknames. Uh, nicknames are a way in which we say to someone, hey, I, I see you. In college, some of my friends called me no-dos. No-dos. I didn't actually take no-dos. Do, do they still make no-dos? They still do, right? They're like little caffeine pills to keep you awake at night. I just, I just rarely slept. Uh, and so I was, you know, no-dos, which was slightly better than vampire. Um, you ever been given a nickname by someone? How did it feel? Yeah, it depends why they're giving it. <laughs> um, but it can be really cool. Here's our passage for today. It comes from Matthew chapter 16. It's in the back of your program. It'll also be up on the big board. Or you can follow along in an actual Bible if you have one. And um, this is uh, us eavesdropping on a conversation that Jesus had with some of his disciples. Uh, he's just gone through a really interesting time. He's just done a whole bunch of miracles, some miracles of provision, some miracles of healing for crowds. And at this point, he's kind of popular. He's kind of a thing uh, in his corner of the world. Uh, and, and Jesus takes the occasion to have a little side conversation with his guys. And he says, uh, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, what he's trying to do is sort of leave um, his home region and get away Get away from the crowds. So he's trying to get time alone with his disciples. Uh, and he, he's having one of these uh, offline conversations with them. Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now the Son of Man is sort of a, a figure of speech uh, in the Aramaic that they were speaking. Uh, literally uh, what Jesus is saying is, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, uh, who was a very popular revival figure for a few years in uh, ancient Israel, but he was beheaded and killed. And so some misguided supermarket tabloid type people were saying, oh, this is John the Baptist resurrected. I don't know. He wasn't really killed. Somehow he survived. He's now, you know... Uh, living in disguise as Jesus of Nazareth. It's sort of like those people that say, um, you know, I, I saw Elvis on Lanai, that sort of thing. It's like he's not really dead. Um, others say Elijah, which was a famous Old Testament prophet, and there was a prophecy that said uh, that Elijah would return uh, before the Messiah came. And so think, well, you're, you're Elijah. You're doing miracles like Elijah. You must be him. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets returned from heaven to walk on, on the earth. And Jesus stops and says to them, but what about you guys? Who do you say I am? This is a great moment. It's a great moment. I mean, Jesus uh, the dude himself turning to, to the guys who are really becoming his friends and in a very vulnerable way saying, do you see me? Do you get me? Who do you say I am? And Simon, Peter, answered, uh, you are the Messiah. You're the promised one, the son of the living God. 
something divine about you. You were sent by God himself, and you are the Messiah that we have been expecting. Nobody had been bold enough to really say it like this before, and Simon just lays it out. I've decided who you are. You're the one. More than that, uh, you're the son of the living God. In, in a way, you are tied with God in, in a manner I don't understand. But I see it. But I see it. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this uh, was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Uh, literally, rocky. It's a Greek word meaning stone. That you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is a really cool promise and a nice job description. You're going to have supernatural power, Rocky. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, uh, which is curious. Uh, it's like, now that you've figured out who I am, don't tell anyone. We won't talk about this today, but there's a way in which everybody needs to decide for himself or herself who Jesus really is. Everybody needs to make it personal in a way. Uh, what I like about this story today, though, is that when Peter sees Jesus, when Peter names Jesus, you're him. Uh, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You know, Jesus is, or Peter is giving him naming descriptions, and Jesus' response is to immediately give Simon a nickname. Up until that point, he's listed as Simon Peter in the Gospels, but up until that point, he had simply been Simon. It was his given name. He was, he was called Simon, which many of you know uh, means, means sandy. Um, you know, sand is unstable. It's shifty. Um, and and uh, Jesus said, ah, you see me? Let me say, I see you. I'm going to give you a nickname. Your nickname is going to be Rocky. From now on, you're going to be called Stone, uh, Peter, Cephas uh, in Greek. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to build something on you because you're no longer going to be all sandy and shifty. You're going to be rock solid. And I'm giving you a nickname to celebrate that about you. It's just this beautiful personal moment that incidentally, had repercussions for all of world history since Peter did become the foundation, the, the human center of the church uh, that Jesus uh, would build there in that first generation. And of course, that church has been continuing on for thousands of years now in different, uh, different forms. Nicknames. The whole conversation is, is this. I see the real you, and I own you. Peter says to Jesus, I see the real you. And Jesus says to Peter, I see the real you. And the naming thing is just sort of a celebration of that. Jesus, I notice, liked to give nicknames to people. You know, James and John, his other two closest friends in his discipleship posse, he called them, does anybody know? The sons of thunder, Boanerges in, in Greek. Um, uh, why did he call them? They were two brothers. And John was quite young. John was still a teenager, and James was probably, you know, in his early 20s, if that old. And he called them the Thunder Boys. Why do you think he called them the Thunder Boys? Because they were a handful, right? Because they were loud, they were obnoxious, they were always causing uh, a ruckus, um, as uh, 
as young, young men often do. And of course, you know, it had a double meaning because uh, their lives would end up being, you know, thunderous in the world and, and change world history as, as well. When Jesus first meets Nathaniel, he says, ah, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. I see you, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, we've never met. And Jesus said, ah, well, prophetically, I perceived you while you were still uh, sitting under uh, the tree yonder and and, you know, they just have this really personal interaction. Jesus has a way of giving you definitive nicknames and declarations and, and, and stuff like that. Um, it just tells, it tells you he knows you. It tells you, and there's some connection between you seeing him and him seeing you. Or at least naming you in a way. That's really definitive. This story was brought to my attention recently as I was talking to my family about nicknames and naming and the, the nature of the uh, upcoming uh, sermon. Uh, Jojo uh, was on one of her uh, favorite websites and, and was reading this story. Do we have uh, the slide back there? This fellow uh, was arrested in Washington, a man whose legal name is Bizao Dudu Zapati Bop 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 was arrested over the weekend after officials say he assaulted a state college police officer and a deputy in Washington. Uh, this newspaper reported that it all started when an officer spotted Zapati Bop 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 tearing down flyers on the Evergreen State College campus. Zapati Bop 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 reportedly took off running, so the officer chased him took him down on the ground, and a struggle ensued. During the struggle, Zapri Bop 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 allegedly grabbed the officer's gun and then bit the officer's ring finger several times, and the story goes on. It turns out, surprisingly, that Bizao Dudu Zapri Bop Bop was in possession of some drug paraphernalia. <laughs> yeah, who saw that coming? And, uh, you know, he got, 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 got arrested. Uh, when you get to the bottom of the story, uh, you find out that Bizao Dudu Zapati Bop 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 was not his given name. <laughs> but that, in fact, he changed his legal name to, um, to Bizao Dudu Zapati Bop Bop Bop. His given name was Bizao Poo Poo Zapati Bop Bop Bop. <laughs> and no, I made that part up. But that would be a cool story were it, were it true. Uh, we so often try to name ourselves in life, do we not? Do we not? And uh, I, don't, I don't mean to make fun of this guy, but anyone who changes his legal name to Bizao Dudu Zapri Bop 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 kind of wants attention, so I feel like I'm giving it to him now. We, we try to name ourselves, and I don't know exactly what Bizao Dudu Zapri Bop 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 means, but I think it means something like, you don't get to possess me um, in the ancient. Greek? I don't know. Uh, the ancient Disney. In the ancient Disney, Bizao Dudu Zapati Bop 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 means you don't get to possess me. Right? And sometimes we give ourselves nicknames like that. Um, I'd much rather have the name that the Lord chooses for me. In the book of Revelations, we read that at the end of days, the Lord will present to us um, a stone with our name written on it. 
a name that only the Lord and us know. When this guy receives the stone, it will not say, it will say, it will be God's nickname, uh, and I hope he makes it. I hope he gets there. I like being in the kingdom of God wherein we see each other and own each other fully uh, without possessing. Well, we can own one another and be owned and own the Lord and be owned by him and not possess. Well, we can have an hour experience. Well, we can have personal nickname celebration of ownership and identity without having to reconstruct one another or reconstruct who the Lord is. And I think all of that starts with seeing Christ. It starts with who do we think he is? You know, is he the guy that is worth everything? We count everything as loss uh, because of his surpassing greatness. Or is he the guy worth following until it gets inconvenient? Is he the guy that's kind of worth following except there'll be certain moral laws that we don't like so we will make adjustments as are comfortable to us? Uh, or is he the guy that provides us with miracles or is he Lord? You know, so very often Jesus would do miracles in a town and then run away. And I think what he was saying is like, look, if I'm just the guy that provides goodies in your life, then you don't get it. You have to pursue me in order to understand what God is doing in the world. You have to make an effort. You got to show up. You got to follow. You can't be casual about this. We got to be in this together. Uh, See the guy... Uh, that demands things from you and never quite gives you enough for a decent life? Has God become that guy for you? In other words, has God become the boss? Has he become the unfair boss? Or is God, you know, Jesus, uh, the sacrificial shepherd? Is he the guy that makes your life so complicated that you need to put up a little resistance? You need to get a little angry with him. You need to throw up a few boundaries. You need to have space for yourself where God does not interfere or is God the guy who gets to name you? Do we own Christ or do we try to possess him? You know, it's hard. It's hard. In this scripture that we had today, Matthew 16, Jesus, uh, or Peter says to Jesus, I get it. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the son of the living God. You are, you are God's face with us. I get it. And just a few verses later, and Jesus starts talking about his death on the cross, Peter pulls him aside and says, no, 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 that's not you. This is not how this is going to end. And Peter replies, or Jesus replies to Peter quite famously, get behind me, Satan. He gets a new nickname. <laughs> uh, Satan just means enemy. Uh, it's like, you know, that, now you're being my enemy, Rocky. <laughs> I want you to go back to being my foundation. You can't possess me. You can't tell me what to do. Not if I'm the son of the living God. And Peter's like, oh, okay. But on the night Jesus died, Peter betrayed Jesus, didn't he? He was still trying to possess, uh, still trying to possess the Lord. I tell you what I need. I tell you what I need. And this is a meditation that I just want to offer as the all-church retreat approaches, because I think, the, I think the retreat is going to be a place where God speaks 
more than anything else, I think the retreat this year is going to be a place where God speaks. God is going to speak to us, but He's also going to speak to you individually. You know, not in some metaphorical way, but I think like directly, the Spirit of the living God will come and, and, and speak to you, have a voice uh, to you in some fashion. Maybe through a, a sudden knowing in your spirit or a dream that you have or a prophecy that somebody else gives you, but it's going to be God speaking to you. And I'll tell you what I feel like I need as that time approaches. I feel like I need to be eager for Jesus. Like I just, just need to be passionate for, for, for Him, you know, as He is. But I, what I mean by that is I feel like I just need to know God as God is. I just, without the rest of it, without the complications. I feel like I need to, I feel like I need to, to get vulnerable. I feel like I need to be all in. I feel like I need to compete for honesty and truth and revelation, you know, um, so that when he speaks, I hear him say something definitive. I hear him, give me a name um, that makes me feel owned and understood and empowered in this world. I need to get an intimate revelation of the Lord. I don't want to be in a first name basis with Jesus. I want to be in a nickname basis with Jesus. Um, and I don't really, I don't really know, uh, this is the point of the sermon where I always give you application points, I always give you tips, something really practical to carry the way. When it comes for being eager for Jesus, I, I don't know what specifically to tell you to do um, because um, it's, so, it's so general and dynamic, right? I mean, it can be anything. It can be anything. But I think in one way, shape, or form, it will boil down to acknowledging the Lord you know, and what we do. Uh, if there's some space in your life where you're just really not acknowledging the Lord, it's, it's me space. You know, it's, it's your special space apart from God. And when I say that, I know that a good number of you know exactly what I mean. It's like, well, this is a space where we don't really let God be Lord. This is a space where God is a distant idea. <laughs> you know, He's not the God who with whom we're on a nickname basis. He's the God that we kind of keep at arm's distance. Thank you very much. In those spaces, you need to acknowledge the Lord. You need to say, Jesus, you are Lord over my free time. Jesus, you are Lord over this particular relationship. Jesus, you are Lord over this fear that I have. Jesus, you own me here. And you know what? I want to own you here. Can we do this together rather than you being the boss and me being the reluctant employee or something like that. You've got to acknowledge the Lord. You know? I have little ways in which I do that. Now, I mean, there are my ways, so you'll have to come up with your ways. But, you know, I'll, I'll be going into an uncomfortable situation or an uncomfortable meeting, and I'll say, you know, you know Jesus, you're, you're Lord over this next hour. And I don't even know what I mean by that, <laughs> that I say it. You know, I say it. And then what I feel like I'm doing is sort of opening the channels a little bit so in that next hour, the Lord can get my attention if he, if he wants it. You know? When the pressure gets intense, 
when things start to feel competitive in my life or like, oh, I'm feeling a temptation from here and I know that I have faith here, but uh, what am I going to do? I simply say, well, Lord, you're the Lord over this. You know, you got anything to say to me right now? And, and I will often say that out loud just because I'm a simpleton. You have to acknowledge the Lord in all areas uh, of, of your life. And I think that that is uh, a pretty good uh, preparatory foundation for the all-church retreat that is coming up. So, um, so let's end with that today. I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, if necessary, to highlight places in our life, spaces in our life where um, we've, we've tried to reconstruct God into the God that we want <laughs> as opposed to the God that God is. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray as your vulnerable people this morning, illuminate in our minds and in our hearts spaces where we have excluded you, ways in which we have compromised instead of competed, ways in which we have shied away or gotten fuzzy when in fact we needed to make progress and achieve clarity. You are the face of God to us, your Lord and your Master. Who are we to you, Lord? This is a, a weird little thing, but I, I just kind of feel the Holy Spirit whispering to me that there's uh, someone here whose childhood was really um, characterized by an older brother who just kind of uh, roughed you up and knocked you about a lot and, and just made you kind of feel small. It wasn't a healthy sibling relationship. And, and that older brother, through his uh, superior size and strength, trying to define you. And, and in some way, that still haunts you. It makes you defensive and, uh, and, a, and a wee bit angry. Among other things, what stuff like that does is it, it makes us shy away from, you know, the older brother Jesus saying, nah, nobody's going to lord it over me. Nobody's going to push me around. And we get defensive in a spiritual way. And so I'm calling you to change your mind. Not every brother is like your brother was. And Jesus the Lord would like to redeem that whole idea for you. Uh, so if the story I am telling resonates with you, um, what I'd like to invite you to do here in a couple of minutes is to go over here along the Mackay Wall where our prayer ministry team will be and just, just walk up to them and, and uh, say, well, you know, I need prayer about brothers. <laughs> and you don't need to say anything more. And they will simply lay a hand on your shoulder and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to you individually, directly. God ministering to you to free you from a bad idea that has taken root in your heart. 
doesn't want to take that bitter root and turn it into a holy and pure root. Uh, thank you. So let's just get the prayer ministry team over there along the Mackay wall so uh, the interested parties can go see you uh, if you need a little prophetic direction or if you've come uh, with the need for some supernatural healing in your body or a breakthrough of provision in your life or something like that. Go see them. They'd be happy to just, just uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and minister to you. Uh, it was a small crowd today for whatever reason. There's this big blank spot of chairs over here between Nalani and, and, and Juan. Um, and uh, I, I just feel the Lord pointing that out to me and saying, you know, it's such a tragedy when people don't come to take their place. Uh, and, and I just want to share that as a prophecy uh, over the congregation as well. It's a tragedy, people, if you don't take your place in the kingdom of God. It's a tragedy if you don't take your place in the community uh, that the Lord has given you. Uh, pass the word. Uh, take your place. Uh, sign up for the All Church Retreat. Uh, show up where you need to show up, and God bless you to do it. Father, I pray that you would perfect your agenda for each person here, and that before we leave the building today, each of us would be changed just a little bit. We ask humbly in the name of our Lord, as he is Jesus Christ, let everybody say, 